You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. You can head in your scriptures to the book of Philippians again. No, I did not preach to an empty church last week, so I waited. So we're in last week's sermon this week, and Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 is where we're going to be this week. Philippians 1, 12, you want to turn that, that book of scripture? We've got a picture from two weeks ago. Where's Keegan today? Where was there? He's over there. Keegan, Keegan did this last couple weeks ago for me, and I appreciate it. I think it was a memory verse you're working on, right? I won't have you say it for everybody, no. So, but he's got it written down. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Thanks for writing that out, Keegan. And kids, as you draw. Certain pictures and things, uh, feel free to turn them in. Let me just say, as I want to often say, if you have kids today, young kids with you, and they feel squirmy or loud, I'm just, just hear it again. I'm glad they are with us. Don't, moms, dads, don't freak out. Don't worry about it. It's good. I can learn to preach through it. I'm just glad we're together to hear the Word of God. I know we have a nursery and if they're hearing me, I'm thankful. And you guys that work back there, thank you for that help. And, and we have that available. But glad to have you kids with us. And hopefully you're, you're hearing something in the message. You're hearing things that, that we're speaking of great things of God. So glad you're with us. Let's look at the Word of God, Philippians 1, verse 12. I'm going to read through verse 18, at least most of 18. Some of your versions will stop halfway or midway through 18 and then get in the next section. I'm gonna, so I'm going to read through 18. We're just going to look at the first kind of portion of this this week, and then next week we'll continue and finish this little section here. We'll be looking at 12 through 14 for today, but let me just read the entire section. God's Word says this in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let me pray for us again as we get into the Word. Father, this is Your Word. And Lord, as we spend these next minutes together looking at it, I pray that your spirit would do the work that you speak about in 1 Corinthians 2 to reveal the things of God um, to those whom you choose to reveal. So show us, Lord, your word, your, um, your greatness. Help our focus to be on you. Teach us through the life of Paul and what you have for us here. Lord, use this weak instrument speaking to proclaim your great truths. And so I pray we'd come away from this, Lord, challenged in each of our situations, in each of our lives, challenged to maybe believe you deeper, 
to act upon your promises, to trust you uh, more fully, to say it is, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Perhaps this week has not felt very sweet. So Lord, give us a taste. Help us to taste and see that you're good through this passage. We pray in your name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I want to begin this morning thinking about kind of a word picture for you as we begin to look at this passage and think about it. And it's the word picture of, of frames. Um, could go a couple different directions. Frames on houses, framing houses, that idea. I'm thinking, and maybe you could go that same place, but picture frames. Frames you have uh, in your house or that you see. I think all, perhaps all, making a generalization, all of you have some sort of art frame or a picture frame. And what you put within that picture or that art, it's something meaningful. Maybe it's your, your family, and so you got a special frame and you put your family in that, in that picture or in that, within that frame. Maybe it's a special place you've been to or, or that special piece of art, be it abstract or, or you know, whatever, all those sorts of things that you put in there and you frame that, that piece. And the, the frame itself even sets that piece apart. You don't want to just have the special picture. You want a good-looking frame around it. So we're thinking of this kind of this idea of frame. And so how we frame the picture, if it's important to us, it says something about what we are framing. When it comes to events in our lives, situations, circumstances, experiences, events. We have a frame, if you will, in those events. It's a frame of how we interpret the event or what meaning we find in the situation. We can frame something as good or we can frame it as bad. For instance, an illness may come along in your life. A root canal, for instance, or something much greater in our lives, an illness. How do you frame that situation? Hopeless. Ah, oh, got it. Ah. Inconvenient. Or you face a particular uh, trial, a suffering of some sort. Perhaps you've been wrongly accused of something. Or there's unmet expectations of a, of a spouse. Or on and on it goes. How do you frame it? You might frame it with a frame that says, I don't need this right now in my life. And so how you frame your experiences, it says something of how, how we interpret life itself, how we look at, at life, how we put a frame around it. And you can frame things like I listed. You can frame them, this is bad. This is unfair. It's unjust. These are mistakes. It's meaningless and pointless. But today's passage, and you could say the whole book of Philippians. Maybe you read it last weekend again. You can read it over and over it's immensely helpful if you find yourself framing the experiences in your life by saying utterly hopeless without meaning. But the reframe you and I, what we need, it's, it's not necessarily to escape the picture going on, the experience, escape the suffering or to flee the hard things. Your job is not going well. Flee to a new job. Flee That friend Accuse you away with you, I'm done, flee. No, it's, it's not to even, even to find all the answers to our questions, but the fr- reframing you and I need, it's actually not about us. It's rather a renewed focus on Christ. 
one commentator, Walter Hansen, is kind of where, as I'm looking through this passage in Philippians, he said this, and I'll read it to you, where this idea of the frame came from. And think of Paul. We know we've already read the context. He's in prison, wherever that is. We'll talk about that. But here's the quote. Walter Hansen says this, Paul's focus on Christ made him an expert at reframing his experience. It's a neat, short quote. I'll read it one more time. Paul's focus on Christ made him an expert at reframing the experience. So we're going to look at verse 12. We're going to get in here and begin to put together this beautiful picture, beautiful picture of Paul's suffering and then the reframing with a view to Christ that Paul has here. So look at verse 12. Again, Paul says this to the Philippians, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul here refers to the Philippians first time, I think in this book, first time as brothers. And if you're using an ESV, you've got a little note there that says brothers and sisters, and it kind of goes on from there to explain some things about the translation of this word brothers. I want you to know brothers. I think specifically Paul is addressing brothers, and I think you could add here, brothers and sisters in the Lord. He does this other places. He's already, verse 1, he's called them to all the saints in Christ Jesus. So it's not, I don't think he's saying to all my physical brothers. These are brothers, sisters in the Lord. And again, other places where Paul writes, we, we have in, in a lot of places that same idea. When he's speaking about brothers, he's speaking about fellow believers, these brothers. And so Paul desires something. He wants something. And he wants these brothers in the Lord to know something. What does he want them to know? To know what's happened to me. This, this section here makes an assumption as, as we're reading this that the Philippians already know about Paul's imprisonment. Um, somehow, some sort of correspondence, maybe it was Epaphroditus or, or Timothy, somehow word got out, I think, that Paul was in prison. The Philippians know about it, so Paul can even begin this sort of sentence with, I want you to know what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. So they already know this. We know it because we've read further in it. But Paul wants them to know What's happened here? But at this point in verse 12, at this point, if we weren't to read beyond it, we, we don't know. We have no idea of what, what, what has happened to Paul here, but we're going to soon find out. And so Paul, without, without a long, drawn-out sermon, Paul is setting up a comparison here in this one verse. A comparison. He's saying the things that have happened to him So I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, these things that have happened to him, they could be seen as disappointments, could be seen as setbacks, obstacles. Paul's about preaching the gospel, right? An obstacle to that mission, impediments to his mission. But this is ultimately that way of looking at his situation, what has happened to him, whatever it is. I mean, we know, we've read ahead, it's imprisonment. But whatever... It's not how Paul sees it. Paul sees it something in, some, in a different way. And he sees it that what has happened to him has really, you've got the word, if you're ESV, you've got the word really in there. You could insert the word rather, making this comparison. 
It's done something altogether wonderful. Paul sees what's happened to him as wonderful. And that wonderful thing, that what's happened to him, is the advance of the gospel. One commentator says this of the gospel's advance. The meaning of this phrase, and he goes on to say, is advancement in spite of obstructions and dangers which would block the path of the traveler. The chief obstacle to the fulfillment of Paul's ministry was, at this time, his enforced confinement in the praetorium. But Paul, he doesn't see what has happened to him. It's not a bad thing to Paul if the gospel's advancing. That's his concern. Paul's heart, we're going to see, even in verse 18, next week, we read it today, that same idea, that in every way, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So Paul's joy here is not centered on Paul's circumstances. It's wholly centered on the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And So rather than Paul viewing this situation right where he's at, whatever's happened to him, as an obstacle, he sees it as advancing the gospel. That's really, I mean, we, we see this through the Old Testament, what man intended for evil... God's intending for good. And here Paul's, whatever's happened to him, is good and the gospel is going forward. So you might say verse 12 gives us that main point of the passage. If we were looking and saying, what's Paul's main idea here? It's this, what's happened to me, he wants them to know, brothers, know this, what's happened to me, it's not a setback, it's the advance advance of the gospel. And then as we get into verse 13 and 14, there's kind of two strands that Paul demonstrates here, or he's, he's kind of fleshing out these two strands of, what, of how the gospel's advancing in this situation. Number one, Christ is being made known to those guarding Paul and the rest, whoever the rest is. Christ is being made known there. And number two, the believers. So there's one kind of unbelievers, the gospel being known there. And then number two, believers, because of Paul's imprisonment, now they're bold and they're speaking the gospel with confidence. There's these offshoots of whatever's happened to Paul. So let's look at that. Verse 13, then we learn what happened to Paul. Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. His imprisonment is for Christ. Paul has an audience for Christ. But it's not an audience like we would think of at the U.S. Bank Stadium, this wonderful audience that has come together to hear Paul. He has an audience much different. It's soldiers, most likely those, he says in this book uh, near the end, those of Caesar's household, that idea. Uh, these, these soldiers, the ESV calls them the imperial guard, or it's got a note that says the, the praetorium. Now, this, well, what kind of group? What, who's Paul talking to here? This goes back to where we think Paul was writing this from. Was he, from, was he in uh, Caesarea Philippi? Was he in, uh, I think some say Ephesus, this idea? Majority, some say Rome. I, I go with that, that Paul was in Rome, in prison. And so if he is, then this would be this imperial guard, this praetorium, kind of these nine to 10,000 soldiers like our 
secret service, you might say, around our president. These are the guys tasked to protect uh, Caesar, to protect the emperor. And so an audience largely made of unbelievers, I think, and to know kind of their setting, they worship many gods, including probably perhaps often the worship of their own emperor, and who at this time would have been Nero, so Nero Caesar. Perhaps there were even there's worship of their emperor, and these are the, the secret service. And so Paul, he's held in the midst of those who would have many gods. They perhaps saw Caesar as Lord. And so here it's evident to all that Paul is following another Lord. He's following Christ. My imprisonment is for Christ. He's in chains for Jesus. The chains here, you could say chains. You've got the word imprisonment here. It's got a couple you know, shades of meaning. It could be imprisonment. I mean, that, that, that gives an idea of where Paul is at. Uh, the King James calls it bonds. The, my bonds are for Christ. If you look in the, if you've got an NIV, you might, you might see the word chains there. I like the word chains. I, I think I prefer that because it gives us a picture a picture in our mind of what Paul was enduring, and, and it also aids in how Paul has written this. Let me, let me explain that, why chains might be helpful. This observation doesn't, it's not original with me. But look at the two words. There's two words in this passage. You've got my imprisonment, or if we were to replace it with the word chains, and you've got in verse 12, he ends verse 12 with the phrase, the advance of the gospel. Advance of the gospel. We do not typically put those two things together. Chains and gospel advance. Those seem opposite of one another. Chains hold things back. Chains restrict. But as we're seeing here, this is not God's plan. God does not work based on chains of men to hold the gospel back. So chains and imprisonment, in general, we could say trials, shortcomings, we might find they don't limit God's mighty hand. And in fact, in fact, as Paul's pointing out, these chains become tools of gospel advance. Think of, many, many of you know, Johnny Erickson Tata. I, I think it's some 50 years ago, she had a diving accident, paralysis, par- paralyzed all the way, neck, neck down, drawing pictures, heard of her. You, we might look at her in the wheelchair for 50 years now, chains of sorts, she's had a tremendous impact on ministering not only to the disabled, but but to those enduring suffering. God has advanced the gospel through a wheelchair. Or you think of the blood of the martyrs, of of old or present-day martyrs that would die for the faith, and yet as one, I don't remember who coined the phrase, but the the blood of the martyrs, the seed of the growth of the church. That we'd say, oh, they died in vain. It was a waste. Yeah, the, the, they killed them and they died for the faith. And yet, through them, the gospel advanced and spread. God's ways are surely not, not our ways. And so Paul here, he sees his chains for Christ as testifying to Jesus among all those around him. And so, also, if we, place, if we place this imprisonment in Rome, here's an interesting thing, then Jesus himself has already predicted this advance. 
what Paul is doing, Jesus has already predicted. I want you to just look quickly at Acts 23. This is, I find this pretty interesting. You keep your thumb or whatever in, in Philippians. Head to the book of Acts, this verse, or chapter 23, verse 11. 23:11. Let me give you a little context. Paul has gone, come back to Jerusalem. And he's in the temple area. He is seized in the temple area. He's about to be killed by the Jews himself in Jerusalem. The city becomes, there's confusion, there's uproar because of Paul. And the Roman soldiers come and they arrest him. And yet he's allowed to speak. He speaks about Jesus of Nazareth to the crowd. But, but as Paul, coming back to Jerusalem, held by the Romans, he, as he's held in the soldiers' barracks the following night, all this happens to him in Jerusalem. Something happens uh, on that night, and that's Acts twenty three eleven. It says, "The following night, the Lord say what? Lord God, the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. The Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. In Rome.'" So Paul's missionary journey, you know, we talk about the missionary journeys of Paul, the first, second, or third. Here's a missionary journey that was via the chains of a prisoner. We don't think of missionary journeys starting that way. That's his. And the goal, as the Lord Jesus would say, to testify about me in Jerusalem, as you've testified there, so now in Rome you will testify. And that's what he's doing among the praetorium, among this imperial guard, and he's got an audience to preach the gospel of Jesus. So Paul's chains brought the gospel to a lost people. And you might call that Paul's reframing, number one. This is one way in which Paul reframes the situation. But his chains had another effect. And so if we go back to Philippians chapter 1 and then look at verse 14, there's another effect. Not just unbelievers, gospel going out there. Look at what it did for the believers. Verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Most of the brothers. Okay? First audience of Paul, soldiers, the whole imperial guard, and do all the rest. Next audience, most of the brothers, fellow brothers. And so this is the second reframing of Paul, that, that Paul's chains for Christ are having a ripple effect among other believers in order to advance the gospel, and they're being bold and confident in the Lord to share that gospel. And we might ask here a question of how. Think of this. How, have Paul's, how, do, how do chains inspire someone to go preach the gospel? Wouldn't, wouldn't they cause someone to be more fearful? If that happened to him and he's testifying to Jesus, I'm not sure I want to do that. How do they, wouldn't they make him more afraid? And I think for sure some probably were afraid and shied away from the message. You've got the phrase there, most of the brothers. So not all of them, but most of them. So we think perhaps there's some that, that were afraid. But for the majority, I think they watched, they watched with their eye what their leader 
in the faith Paul was dealing with in his chains. Here's the beautiful thing. Instead of seeing Paul sulking, prison again, complaining, they saw him, as Philippians would say, content in every situation he was in. He had reframed the situation in Christ. Do you remember when we started this this series in Philippians, we looked at Acts 16 and we looked at Paul and Silas in prison that one other night and you might remember what they were doing on that night. This is not kind of a, an oddity of Paul that he would somehow find what God is doing and be excited about Christ's advance of the gospel in the prison. In that one prison in Philippi, he and Silas at midnight, they're praying and they're singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. So to, to watch Paul endure chains, to watch Paul in his imprisonment, it's almost like a seminar. You know, we talked about the seminar in Chatfield coming up in, at the end of February. This is like a seminar on how to deal with suffering well. He's praying. He's singing. He's worshiping. And he's focused on Christ. He's putting the gospel ahead of comfortable living. I think you could say here, not I think, but you must say the gospel of Jesus Christ had first place in Paul's life. First place. It, it, and this is not to say Paul didn't face hardships or despair. We read of other places. We're despairing even of death. But rather in those events, through those events, Paul's eyes were led up through the pain to rely on God, to trust in Him, these things happened. We were despairing. Second Corinthians one, we despaired of life itself. But this was to to help us re, re, or to show us to rely on God. And then also, his eyes were looking out. What is God doing in this hard situation? He has eyes to say, "What's God doing in this place? In this situation?" So, a question for for us, for you, as we look through really a short section, is to ask what does the current frame of your life look like? How would you frame, fill in the blank, frame your illness, your suffering? Each of us have different areas. Your trial, that conflict at work, or just your current life situation. This world and our own flesh, the temptations of Satan... They offer us frames. They offer us a way to frame this. You don't deserve this. It's better over here. There's all sorts of frames we can purchase. And they're on a discount. And they're there. And we can get them. And we want to frame our situations that way. But following Christ ought to reframe our situations. That we begin to pray and watch for what God is doing. Not to get us out of the situation but rather what he's doing in the midst of this. And each one of us, he is putting in different places and, and areas and situations that he's working. A couple thoughts, three thoughts as we conclude, kind of draw some, some application through what we've studied and looked at here. Number one, it must be foundation number one. In order to reframe your situation, you must know Christ. There's no reframing of self-help or anything like that. You must know Christ. Paul says, just a little further on, for to me to live 
is Christ. If we all memorize that verse, and to die is gain, the last part, verse 21, what a great verse to memorize. That's Paul's heart. It's completely given to Christ. He's saved by His grace and then beholding Christ's glory. So do you, do you know Jesus? Is He Lord? Or like perhaps the soldiers and the rest, is Caesar Lord? You have another Lord competing for your life. My call to you, the biblical call, is a call to repentance and faith. If you do not know Christ, you are in chains. There is a bondage you're in. And it's not... It's not great chains for the advance of the gospel. It's chains to sin and bondage to sin. And God must do the work to pull us out. And we see Him by faith and we look on Him. Because the reward for those chains, those chains, not the chains that advance the gospel, the chains of our sin, the reward is hell forever. And the, the, the crux of that, of hell, flames, heat, hot, and away from the presence of God. Cursed. Forever. I encourage you, call on Jesus if you're in those chains. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I need you, Jesus. Forgive me. You're my Lord. So that's one. Know Christ. Maybe you'd throw in there, if you're a believer, grow in Christ. Grow in, don't say, well, that's for, I hope they know Christ. It's for us to know Him daily. It's not, I did that at age whatever, this is me. I need to know Christ and grow in Him. Number two, number two, unbelievers are watching your life, dear brother, sister in the Lord. Unbelievers are watching. You may not have the praetorium guard around you, but you are being watched. They're watching and they're asking, how does someone who claims to know Christ, how do they deal with things when they don't go their way? Maybe you want to ask them, if you're close enough to an unbelieving friend, what does it look like? Maybe you don't. Maybe you're scared of the answer. But our lives, your reactions, the words you use, they, they will testify to Christ. And some of us, perhaps maybe all of us to a degree, need to repent for unbelievers do not see Christ in us. Unbelievers are watching. And number three, others are watching, believers are watching. How you frame your situation in light of the gospel has implications for other believers around you. For us as a church family, we as a church need you, individual brother, sister in the Lord, to love Christ with everything you have. Each of you. This is not... Pastor Mike needs to love him, and we'll do a little bit. We, this is the church. This is not a pastoral job. This is as a church. Because we, we need each other to be growing in the Lord and strengthening one another. Our children, the, the scary th- they're watching. Does Dad love Jesus? I see him just looking at situations like, I don't know, this is terrible. And why God brought this... What do they see in this? And again, I'm not, I'm not saying we don't despair, we don't have the emotion, the lament, all those sorts of things. Don't hear it's just, just kind of put on that happy face. No, it's a face like, this is great persecution. This is great suffering I'm in. And yet, I've got a Savior. I don't know, I don't know all what God's doing. I don't, I don't know how the gospel, but I want Christ through this. I want to grow in Christ through this. 
In Paul's case, these believers in turn following Paul preached of, they spoke of the gospel with boldness. They were spurred on by his chains. And in some way, in some way, as we read right here, Paul's still spurring us on, isn't he? We're 2,000 years apart from this, and we're being encouraged today by Paul's chains to welcome the chains for the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I close this part, I want to worship team can come up. We're going to sing um, again one last closing song, and they can come up at this time. I just want to encourage you that you would be bold in Christ to endure chains, to endure suffering for the advance of the gospel, to share with others the only news that can save mankind from sin. We're going to sing it. This is a very familiar tune, it as well. We're going to sing that together with eyes, whatever the experience, situation you're in, with eyes to, to reframe in Christ. It's well. He is on the throne. He is, there's no doubt about that. And to fix your eyes on Jesus no matter the lot. Are you prepared to live in such a way to glorify Jesus, to say whatever my lot you've taught me to say, it's well. I want you to hear the word of the Lord again from Acts 23, that little verse we went and saw to Paul. And I'm, I just want to personalize it. I know it's Jesus speaking to Paul. I think we can be encouraged by the same words. Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Brother and sister in the Lord, where's Rome for you this week? How would you fill in the blank to testify to the Lord Jesus at work in that hard situation with that particular diagnosis or among your family or when you're alone and when no one's around? Will you testify that Jesus Christ is worthy of all glory and honor and praise no matter the chains. Let me pray for us. Father, we don't do this in our own strength. We don't typically welcome chains at all. But I pray we would be a people known in great suffering, in hardship as people that praise Jesus. Because you've given us reframing eyes to say, we care about Christ, and if Christ is proclaimed, then by chains, so be it, Lord. Help us in despairing thoughts, in hopeless thoughts, to cling to you and to say, it's well with my soul because Christ reigns and his gospel will go forward, and that's what I care about. Encourage our hearts in this as your people of God, we pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.